Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we, we praise and thank you, O God, that you are a God that reveals yourself through your word. I think of many throughout history that have worshipped false gods like the sun god or the rain god and when circumstances were uh, contrary to what they wanted, they had to try to figure out what their false gods wanted and they would do all kinds of things to appease them. But Lord, we thank you that as Christians, we don't have to wonder about these things. God, you have clearly revealed to us everything that we need for life and for godliness. God, you know us. You know our lives. You know right where we live. You know the things that we need. And I pray today that you would speak clearly to us through your Holy Spirit. God, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. But Lord, there may be uh, places where we need to be rebuked for the sin of our hearts. And I pray that in that, that you would draw us to yourself, that we might be repentant and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, to know the love of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as I said uh, earlier in the service, uh, this week we had our most recent granddaughter who was born and you know that she had a, a heart condition that was so severe that we didn't know whether she was uh, going to live or not beyond birth. But praise God, she has. And we're so thankful for your prayers and for the prayers of so many that have lifted her up. And, uh, you know, we just are so thankful that she is growing stronger each and every day, stronger and stronger and stronger. And Lord willing, we pray that she will continue to grow, that she will mature and lead a long and productive life. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, I think that growth and maturity are a natural part of life. I mean, we, we expect that to happen. As a matter of fact, we sort of almost take it for granted. But if a baby is born and they're not growing and they're not maturing, then we know instinctively that something's wrong, don't we? And we try to do whatever we can to, to help that baby to, to grow. But the reality is, is that it's true in the church as well. You know, any godly pastor will not be satisfied that his congregation merely comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that they are born again. If they continue to, to uh, be childish in their faith, he won't be satisfied. He, he will desire and he will pray and he will do all that he can to help his congregation to grow and to mature in the faith. Uh, unfortunately, I think there's too many churches today where that's not the case, where people can just come to church, they sort of go through the worship service, they might socialize with people, and then they're gone. And that may be the only interaction that they have. But that's not the Apostle Paul's mentality as he thinks about the church at, at Ephesus, and specifically as he prays for them in these verses that we looked at this morning. He desires that they would grow to maturity. As a matter of fact, he says, in verse 19 that he prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now think about that just a moment. To be filled with all the fullness of God. Now Chris has been taking us through 
the attributes or the characteristics of, of God. And uh, one of the things we talked, he talked about right off the bat was we can't know everything there is to know about God. You know, so for Paul to be praying that they would be filled with the fullness of God is just an amazing thing. So he prays for them and he prays asking for very specific things. But I think one of the things that has struck me is how different that Paul prays than what I pray. And even that I see many Christians praying as well. I mean, a lot of our prayers seem to be for personal things, for physical things, for for material and financial things. We pray for healing, for sickness. We pray for our economy to be better. There's all these things that 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 we pray for, but Paul prays for very different things. And he prays that God's power would be at work in the inner beings of these Christians to bring them to maturity in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to look at his prayer for maturity. And I want us to see uh, three things. I want us to see the root of that spiritual maturity that he prays for, the reality of it, and the result of it. So the root, the reality, and the result of spiritual maturity. So first of all, let's look at the the root of that in verse uh, 16. He says that he, that is God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, why does he pray for that? Well, he tells us immediately in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when Paul prays for Christ to dwell within us, he could have used a number of words in the Greek to signify that idea of dwelling. Two in particular, one he could have used, it means to to really to visit. You know, that Christ may come to dwell there just, just to visit. A lot like Abraham was a sojourner, he was a pilgrim in the promised land. But the other word that he could have used and that he does use in this passage is that Christ would take up a permanent residence within us. And so he's praying that Christ may take up a a permanent residence in your heart through faith. And and the implication there is, is that Christ may rule over every part of our lives, every aspect, the totality of who we are as people. Now, I think one of the... uh, Ways of looking at this, uh, maybe you have seen this. I'm not uh, uh, promoting everything that's in this little booklet, but there's a little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. And I don't know if you've ever read that, but that little booklet uh, pictures the Christian life as a house. And with Jesus uh, coming into that house and he goes room by room and he begins to address what is in the life of the believer. And first of all, he goes into the library, which is compared to the mind. And as Jesus walks into the library of this Christian's house, he sees uh, false thinking and he sees trashy thoughts and things like that that he wants to toss out and he begins to replace those things with the word of God. And then Jesus goes into the dining room, which is the, the room of appetites and desires. And he finds all kinds of sinful desires in this person's uh, uh, life. Uh, Jesus seeks to replace pride and greed and lust with godly desires. Things like humility and meekness and love. And then Jesus goes into the living room where he finds that worldly company has been let into the heart. 
And he seeks to replace that with godly fellowship with other believers. And then after Jesus has gone through all these rooms, then there's one other room that's left. And it's this little closet. And there's sort of this discussion between Jesus and the owner of this house. And the person's like, no, Jesus, not the closet. You know, you've gone through all these other rooms and you have totally transformed my life. But Jesus, not the closet. Because you see, in that closet is the secret and the cherished sins that that person is holding on to. And Jesus says, no, it's all mine. It's all mine. And Jesus goes into that closet and he cleans that out. Because Jesus' intent is to live in that heart. And so that heart must be fitting for him. I like the way John MacArthur puts it. He said, Jesus enters the house of our hearts the moment that he saves us. But he cannot live there in comfort and satisfaction until it is cleansed of sin and filled with his will. Not our will, but his will. He cannot be fully at home until he is allowed to dwell in our hearts through the continuing faith that trusts him to exercise his lordship over every aspect of our lives. That's what Jesus seeks to do. He loves us so much that he will not leave us as we are, but he seeks to exert his lordship over us. I mean, Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, I think about uh, a book I read when I was a little kid. It's called The Cross and the Switchblade. Many of you might know the story, but Dave Wilkerson was this country bumpkin pastor who the Lord laid it upon his heart to go to New York and, and to begin to preach the gospel to the gangs. Well, so he did. And, and the, you know, I won't tell you everything that happened, but the, they gave him a very rough time. He very quickly realized he was out of his element. But he continued just to share Christ with these gang members. And there was one guy in particular who was a leader of one of the toughest gangs in New York. And his name was Nicky Cruz. And he resisted the gospel with great fervorance. But eventually the Lord worked in his heart and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, even after Nicky Cruz came to faith in Christ, he was still shacking up with his girlfriend and doing all kinds of things that you look at that and you go, what are you doing? You call yourself a Christian and you're doing that? But, you know, he continued to read his Bible. And as he was reading his Bible, he, he became convicted that he ought not to be living with his girlfriend, that that was sin in the eyes of God. And so they, they moved apart from one another. I think if I remember right, they eventually got married. But... You know, but they did that. But that's the kind of idea that Christ does. He doesn't sanctify us all at once, but little at a time, he begins to open our eyes to see the truth of the will that he has for us, that which is good. And so uh, he begins to, to do that work in our hearts. It's sort of a lot like us when we move into a house, right? I mean, uh, I, you move into a house and you look on the walls and you say, you know, this would be a good house for us. I'm not sure I like the color of the paint on the walls. Or, you know, this carpet is sort of nasty. I think I'd rather rip that up and have hardwood floors. And we begin to, to make this list of things that we want to do. And some of the things we may do immediately before we even move in, because that needs to be done. But a lot of the things we think, you know, I can do that over time. And so we do. We begin to, to renovate and we begin to change the house until finally, after a period of days or weeks or months or years, it just depends on how long it takes. Eventually, 
The house takes on our characteristics. You can see our fingerprint all over the house. And it's a lot that way with Jesus as he works in our life. So Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would so work in the hearts of God's people that, that Christ would be present there. Um, that the Spirit would take the things of Christ and he would begin to work those things into that, whether that be Christ's holiness or his compassion or his mercy or his forgiving heart or the desire to do the Father's will. And so the Holy Spirit, in essence, as he's strengthening us in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in us, is really sort of doing a divine renovation, house renovation, in, in our lives. And he is making our hearts suitable for a place to Christ to take a habitation. Now, this is the very thing that should happen in all of, of the lives of God's people, but it doesn't just automatically happen. I think of um, of uh, John's uh, as he wrote the book of Revelation, and Christ revealed to him uh, his letters to the churches. And if you want, turn to Revelation chapter three. In Revelation three, uh, Jesus addresses uh, one of the churches that you're very familiar with. I'm sure it's the church of the Laodiceans. And in Revelation chapter three, in verse fourteen, we read. And to the church, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, that is, of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You see, these are words that are addressed to Christians who have a spiritual life, but who are, are very poor and immature in their walk with the Lord. There's a sense in which they know the Lord Jesus Christ, but in a deeper sense, they don't really know him. They're, they're in a relationship with Jesus, but he's not the center of their lives. So he is not dwelling there. He is not settled down in, in their hearts in essence. And, and so they are neither hot nor cold. And they think that they're so well off, but they're not. And so Jesus says to them, then in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You see, we use that verse all the time in evangelism. But it's not written to unbelievers. It's written to the church. Where Jesus says, I will come in and I will dwell with you. I will sup with you. I will eat with you. Brothers and sisters, you can be a Christian without enjoying conscious fellowship with Jesus. You can be in a position where you're relying upon him to some degree. You're relying upon the perfect work of Christ upon the cross. You can even pray to him but not have conscious fellowship 
with him, a conscious realization of his nearness and enjoyment of him. And and that's what Paul desires for the Christians. He prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And he says that that is through faith. So Paul emphasizes that faith isn't something that we do just at the beginning, that that's how we come to faith in Christ. That's how we walk with him. You know, that's how we grow in Christ is that constant exercise of our our faith, our trust, our dependence upon God, which is part and parcel of the way that Christians grow. So often in the Christian life, we want God to give us power so that we can get control of our situation. Right. You know, we're just like, Lord, just just help me today so I can get my to do list done. Lord, just just get me over this hump so I I could have this. But he never gives us power to give us independent. He only gives us power in our hearts to cause us to be more dependent upon him and to trust in him because we're so tempted to move towards independence, that we might do this for his glory. So we see that that root of spiritual maturity is as the Spirit of God is working in our hearts, as we are praying for one another, that Christ would dwell, that he would take up residence in us. Um, but then what is, what is the effect of having Christ permanently take up residence in our hearts? You know, as he sort of renovates us and and uh, he changes our desires and we become and he becomes more and more at home in our hearts. Well, that's where we begin to see the reality of spiritual maturity. And that's described in verse 17, where he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, Paul knows that we need a life that is supplied by God's love that is rooted in God's love. Now, That word rooted, that's an agricultural term. So think of a big oak tree and oak trees put their roots way down in the ground and they just sort of soak up all the nourishment that they need. But he's praying that the Ephesians would be rooted in God's love, that they would understand that. But then he uses another analogy, too, as he says that you would be grounded upon God's love. So think, if you would, about a foundation. And maybe a skyscraper that reaches way up into the sky. Now, if you've ever built buildings, you know that a skyscraper is not built on a slab. It's not just a thin two-inch foundation. You know that the foundation, the taller the building, the deeper the foundation has to go to support that building. And he's saying, may that be the case with us, that we would be grounded upon God's love because God has called us to live amongst and to love sinners, even in the church. Amen. You know, because God has called us to live amongst and to love sinners, even in the church. And and he knows that in order for you and I to love one another, that we need to have a life that's been established and anchored in his love. Even as Jesus has loved sinners and and let him down, he calls us to love those who let us down. Those who have betrayed us, those who have wounded us, those who have hurt us, those who have disappointed us, those who have sinned against us in very real ways, he calls us to love them. Those are the ones that he calls us to love. And he knows that no human being has the power to do that in and of himself. Only the power of God can root us and ground us in the love of God so that we can love like God loves. 
the thing, brothers and sisters, that convinces the world that God is real is when they see Christian love. When they see those who hate us and despise us, who spit upon us, and we offer them a cup of cold water, we show kindness to them, we show compassion to them, then the world sees that God is, is real. And so the Apostle Paul says, Ephesian Christians, he says, Christians at Kirk of the Plains, I'm praying that your life would be so rooted and grounded in the love of God that you will be able to love like I love, that your life would manifest my forgiving love towards sinners and the way that you relate to one another. But for Christians to do that, we need to know more than just the love of God in our heads. He says in verse 18, actually, let me back up to verse 17 a little bit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Now, when Paul is talking about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, he's not talking about four kinds of love. He's talking about the fullness or the vastness of God's love. And he's praying that we would be strengthened to comprehend that love. Paul is saying that he wants you to have the ability to grasp the love of Christ in your souls. Not just in your head, not just to know that, it's, that God loves us, not to just to do a Bible study on love, but he wants you as a believer to have a real, personal experience and comprehension of the incomparable love of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that so important? Well, because the love of Christ is naturally beyond our understanding and our experience. And, and as we, even as we talked about in Sunday school, you know, that we oftentimes want to take terms that we use in our human existence and we want to redefine those words as, as human words and then attribute those to God. But the reality is, is that, you know, while we do love one another, our love is very different than the love of God. The love of God is so vast, brothers and sisters. And oftentimes what we do is we look at the love of God and we define it only in terms of the way that we have experienced or, or we understand it, rather than really, truly understanding it fully as God is love. Does that make sense? And so he wants, so Paul is praying, God, help him to get it. Help them to see, help them to understand truly what that love is so that they may love others. And brothers and sisters, I'm guessing that there are many even in this room who have walked with the Lord for, for many years and have wrestled to know and experience the love of Christ for them. And there might be many reasons for that. You know, it might be that Maybe your relationship sort of growing up in your family, uh, it might not have been a relationship that cultivated that sense of God's gracious acceptance and Almighty God and Father and the love that He has shown to us through Jesus Christ. For others, it may be that you have lived a lifestyle and a pattern of sin or a particular sin that you feel separates you from God. And you just think, there is no way that God could love me. It, you know, if, if God really knew what was in my heart, if God really knew what my background was like, you know, how could he possibly accept me? I have rejected him. How could he possibly love me? How could he possibly save me? And so, 
you have sort of shied away and you sort of know in an intellectual way that God loves you, but you have not given yourself wholeheartedly to that love to worship and to thank and to praise him that he could love you so much. And of course, there's many other reasons why we might struggle to understand the love of God. But Paul knows that if we don't, at least in some way, some measure know of the boundless love of Christ for us, we cannot grow up and we cannot mature as Christians. I think about Ligon Duncan. He tells the story of his father where his father was on a ship and they were, uh, he was in the military and they were out in the ship and they came to the part of the ocean that was the deepest point in the world uh, as far as the depth of the ocean. And so the skipper stopped the boat and he said, OK, guys, if anybody wants to jump over the side and swim in the deepest part of the ocean, feel free to do so. And so Ligon's dad dove off the, the side of the boat and he said he went down and down and down and down. Until he began to think, you know, I don't know that I'm going to make it back up. So he started heading back up and he began to, to swim in this. And, and it just overwhelmed him to think how deep this was, this ocean. He said that uh, the water, it was so deep that the water was actually black. And he said it sort of hit him that you could go down 30,000 feet and you still would not hit the bottom of the ocean. That you could put Mount Everest in this spot. And the tip of Mount Everest would still be a thousand feet below the level of the sea. And he said it just overwhelmed him to understand the depth of that. Well, brothers and sisters, I pray, and that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians, that we would understand the depth and the width and the height of the love of God for us. And that that love would change our, our hearts. Uh, Don Carson uh, speaks of, uh, he teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and he talks about a co-worker, Perry Downs. And Perry and his wife would adopt babies. And they would uh, they had a foster home and then they would pass them on to, to others as they would adopt these babies. And I think at the time that uh, D uh, Don Carson was telling this uh, story, they had adopted something like 20 kids. Well, so they were pretty experienced, and, and the state came to them and said, hey, I know you usually take babies, but we actually have these twin boys that are like 18 months old. Would you take them into your house? And they said, sure, we'll do that. And they said, well, we also want you to know that these boys have had some, some real problems, um, but we just want you to take them for like six weeks until we could find a home. But they've, they've had some, some really, they've been treated very poorly. And uh, they've actually, even though they're 18 months old, they've been in nine homes already. And they've not been able to uh, adapt to those homes. And so are you sure you want to take them? And they said, yes, we'll take them anyway. And, and just so you get an idea of, of how scarred these little boys were, uh, the parents said that the first night the boys were in the home, they put them to bed and they're down the hall and Perry and his wife are in the living room and they hear something really strange. They hear nothing. Now, if you're a parent, you know that if there's a lot of noise, that's not good. You also know that if there's total silence, that's not good. You know, there has to be sort of that in-between thing, right? Okay, so they heard nothing. Well, two 18-month-old boys, twin boys in bed at 7.30 and nothing, that seems strange. So they were curious and they went down the hall and the boys were in bed, but they had pillows over their faces muffling their sobs. Because as little boys, they had been beaten simply because they cried. That's how scarred these little boys were. 
Well, long story short, they didn't just have these boys for six weeks or for six months. They actually had them for almost a year. And they just continued to show the love of Christ to these boys. Well, at the end of that year, the social workers came in to help transition the boys to the family that was going to be adopting these little boys. And they said, these boys are not the same boys. They said they are responding affectionately. They're very emotional. They're like healthy children. And they said, what is it that you have done? And they said, we didn't do anything. All we did was we loved them. And the Apostle Paul is saying that that's the experience that we are to have. That we so experience the love of Jesus Christ in our lives that we show that love to other people as well. And so we see not only the root of that spiritual maturity and the reality, but also the result. And that's what we see in verse 19, where he says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, in Ephesians and Colossians, that word fullness is almost invariably used of God himself to describe the fullness of who God is. And so Paul is praying that these Christians, as the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of believers to strengthen them so that Christ could dwell in them as he changes their hearts and sanctifies them, that they would experience the fullness of God the fullness of his wisdom and his knowledge and his goodness and his love and all that he is. And so Paul is praying that they would come to spiritual maturity and, and that as God created Adam and Eve to be image bearers and uh, likewise he has created us to do the same, that that's exactly what we would be. That as people looked at our lives, they would see the fullness of God not only in individual Christians, but even in the church as well, that people would look and they would see the goodness of you and they would say, that looks like the goodness of the Father. That they would see the wisdom and they would say, wow, that person exhibits the wisdom of God. And they would see God's characteristic in us as he abides in us both as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not praying that we will somehow be little gods. He's just praying that we would be uh, uh, experience the fullness of God, that he would inhabit us and we would come to that spiritual maturity. So you see that Paul, this is really a prayer for, for spiritual maturity. And so I pray that you are praying this prayer for one another. I know this week I have spent a lot of time praying this prayer for you. And I've been praying this prayer for me as, as well. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, many of you have known him. He's a famous Welch preacher. And uh, uh, he's uh, actually spent a lot of time preaching through uh, the book of Ephesians. I think it's like 200, almost 300 sermons on the book of Ephesians. But he makes the observation that for most church members and professing Christians, that their relationship to Christ is something simply in the background of their lives. That they think little about the Bible or Christ or God or their own spiritual condition. And they draw from very little power for godliness that is available to them in Jesus Christ. And for too many, Christianity is little more than the knowledge that we can make an emergency 
to call to God when we need it. That God is sort of like a 911 operator. And so when my life doesn't go quite well enough, I can just lift up a prayer and say, God, help me do this. Or God, I need you in this. Or Lord, would you please help me get out of this? And so to this, Dr. Lloyd-Jones asks, he goes, is Christian truth something that you like to have and to know that it is there if you are taken desperately ill or if some loved one is taken ill or if you are suddenly confronted by the loss of your income or when some disaster takes place or when you are on your deathbed? He says, if that is all Christianity is to you, what a challenge you have heard from the Apostle Paul. Because he is urging you to seek for so much more, to seek for God himself in all the fullness only he can give to your life. And so as we come to this uh, section of this prayer, I want to ask us, are you seeking to be strengthened with power by the Spirit in your inner being? Are you praying and opening the doors in your heart for Christ to come there and to reign in you? Are you growing in your comprehension of Christ's love so that his love uh, for you will be experienced in others? Are you praying and asking, God, help me to understand your love in a very real way this week? Are you being filled with all the fullness of God? What a pity if you are not, for this is the only way for spiritual blessing and maturity. And if you are here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, he is calling you to come to him. And to trust in him. To put your life in his hands. To no longer be the master of your own destiny. But to give your hands to the one who not only has created you. But the one who has died on the cross to save you from your sins. Because he loves you so. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, the Christian life is an interesting thing. Uh, We come to you, Lord, uh, asking you to do a mighty work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, to see the power of God take people who are just ordinary people and make them extraordinary as God works in their lives. But God, you also don't just uh, call us to sit back on our haunches and do nothing. But you, you command us to walk by faith, to trust your word and the promises that you have given, uh, to walk with you. And I pray that you would so work in our congregation, Lord, that we would know you. We would pray, God, that what we would see in our lives individually, as families, as a church family, would be way more than the collective of who we are. But we pray that we would be image bearers of Christ and see the fullness of God. And we pray that the world around us would be would see that as well. And Lord, it is our prayer that many would come to faith in you. Uh, Lord, that they would be set free from the bondage of sin and the life that they're living. The, 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 um, the worry, the fear, um, the loneliness that they are experiencing. And Lord, I pray that they would be brought into relationship with you and they would know the freedom of what it is to give control to you and to have you work in our hearts. We thank you, O Lord, for these things uh, and pray them 
uh, not only for the sake of our church, and we pray for other churches as well, but Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and that there would be many in heaven to worship you when you come again to bring us home. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.